Here's what you need to understand about the migrants coming into Europe and the United States. We are being invaded. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity here with you. Peak Prosperity, where we provide information you can't afford to live without. This is a very special report. We have to talk about this. This is a very big deal. And let's start here. We're going to talk about migrant invasion, making sense of it all. This is a really important topic for everybody to understand right now. And I'm going to explain it as best I can. First, Amy Pope is head of the IOM. That is the UN agency that is most responsible for funneling money and support to people who are migrating. Now, what's wrong with migrants? Nothing. However, we have to make a distinction. Note what she says here on January 19th, posted, excuse me, on January... <clears throat> excuse me, on January 21st. And she says here, oh, thanks to, you know, great interview on the state of migration across Europe uh, and how migrants are a force for good, fueling economic growth and driving prosperity. Europe needs migrants and migrants need regular and safe pathways so they can work. This is an odd concept. This is strange framing. Let me explain why. First up, there's just an assertion made here, which I hate, right? Back it up. Give me some data. Migrants are a force for good in fueling economic growth and driving prosperity. Is that true? What if the opposite of that is true? How would we know? But there's an important distinction. Something is getting muddied here that really should not be muddied. This is the first sign that you are under fifth generation warfare, cognitive attack, all that. The words lose their meaning. They get mangled. We've been through this. What is herd immunity? We don't know anymore. What is a case of versus with COVID? We don't know anymore. We lost a lot of words like, what's a woman? We don't know. Can't define it. This is part of the landscape. So let me reclaim a word here. This is immigration. Let me go full screen on that. Immigration, this is the roadmap to getting a green card. I don't know. What are there? 30, 40 boxes on there? Five, six, seven years of actual work? That's immigration. Immigration. Not what we're talking about here today. Immigration is different from this, which is migration. These are separate concepts. Immigration is a thoughtful, careful, deliberate process. My grandparents came to the United States through a process of immigration. This is migration. Don't know who these people are, why they're coming, why they're leaving. Nothing about them. In you go. Come into this country. No background checks, no verifications, no process. This is a big, long, hairy process. No process. Immigration is a process. Migration has no process. Now, this is a big deal, a very big deal. Why? Well, because let's define it. Migration is the movement from one part of something to another. Uh, so that's movement. It's the mass movement. We have migrations of birds. It's a seasonal movement of animals. Migration is when a big group, a biologically relevant group, at least in biology, go from here to there. They leave here because this isn't where the resources are they need to get done what they want to get done. In this case, they want to go to breeding grounds with richer feeding grounds so they can raise their young. Nothing wrong with people wanting to go to a better place so they can make a better land for themselves. However, immigration is very different from migration. Immigration, think of this like renting a house to somebody. You're a landlord. Do you just take the first person who comes in and says, I'd like to rent it? Oh, very, very good. You are now my renter. No, you might have a process. Maybe a little background check. Maybe a criminal check. Maybe a credit check. Maybe you actually call for references. There would be a process. Of course, of course, there would be a process before you invite somebody to live in a house 
that you that you own and have worked hard to build and maintain. All right. That's not what's happening. Now we're facing vast migration. Know the difference. Immigration and migration. By the way, we could also call this immigration uh, careful, and we could call migration an invasion, because that's actually what's happening. Is that too much of a word? I don't think so, because an invasion here might mean something like um, an instance of an invading a country or a region with an armed force. It might be an incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity, an incursion by a large number of people. It's an influx, an inundation, inrush, a flood, a deluge, a disturbance, a disruption, a breach, an occupation. Too much hyperbole? Maybe. Why don't we take a look here and say, this is what it looked like just the other day. Uh, you know, just, uh, I think this past, well, there's leaves on the tree. So this is recently, though. this is England. You can tell it's England because of those bobbies down there and their little yellow police vesty things. There's some, there's a group of them. Migration or invasion. Um, now we have a large influx of a type of people from one area to another. Uh, that is an invasion. How about this? Um, if it weren't an invasion, how would we tell it apart from an invasion? These are people on a train riding up from Mexico into the United States. And when you look at them, you might notice something about their characteristics in terms of their age and their gender. They're males pretty much all of a given age here. We might call them military age males. Again, when you are in the process of inviting people into your home, it should be a very careful vetting process. There's no vetting going on here. That means it's not immigration. So when Amy Pope and other people start to confuse immigrants, are you against immigrants? I never said I was against immigrants. I said I'm against migration. Migration is a process. It is an event. It is not related to or about a type of people it has nothing to do with the people it has to do with the quantity and the process by which they come in so why do i know so much about this because michael yan took myself and brett weinstein down to the darien gap we got in a plane got off the plane got in an suv started driving south we drove south for three and a half almost four hours i guess straight into the darien gap which is on the south end southeast end of Panama. By the way, you see that red line coming down there? Here, let me get my tool out. Uh, I guess I'll use a laser pointer here. This is the road. This is the Pan American Highway. This goes all the way to Alaska, 12,800 kilometers, comes all the way down, ends here in Yavisa. We went to about here and then we rode a boat out here and we were in one of the camps where when people walk from this ending of this road and come through this jungle here, this is called the Darien Gap. There's no roads, there's a gap here, no roads. Um, they either come by boat over to here and then walk in, or they come in from here and they walk all the way through. Either way, they end up about in one of the camps along here. And so we were at one of those camps, but how do you get there? Well, we had to drive, drive to the end of the road, drive down a very long dirt road, came to a place where we were trying to get to a camp up here, Canaan Membrio. And that meant we drove to the end of this dirt road, come into this little shanty town place here at the end of the road. Oh. Look, a Chinese sign way out in the middle of the jungle. How odd. And then we got, um, met each other. There's Brett Weinstein and myself. We stood around for a while until our boats were ready. These were the boats. Long, skinny, dugout canoes, dug out from trees with little 15-horse motors on the back. 
we piled into these uh, devices here and we started our long way up the river in these semi-leaky boats. And uh, long route, the very long windy trip. This is what the trip looked like. It went, went back and forth. Here, here's a small chunk of the river, right? Obviously it would have been faster if we could have done that. And like did I mentioned, they were leaky. My job was to bail out the back of this uh, boat about every 60 seconds or so. Keep the, keep the bailer going. On and on we went four hours up this river till we get to one of these camps. This is the camp way up river. It had several hundred people in it. It was kind of a quiet day. Sometimes it would have thousands of people in there. They land, they self-organize into groups. You might find one of these huts with these tents in it with Venezuelans in it or Chinese people or Afghanis or um, you name it. All the different nationalities tended to cluster together a little bit. We had to check in with uh, Senefront and show them our passports. Uh, this is Ann Vandersteel and Brett Weinstein, and myself. And this was a board that was in that guard area. And it shows that across 2023, 68,079 people had been recorded as entering the camp. Average that out, 200 per day. They spend about a day in this camp. They come out of the jungle. They go up a boat, they get in a boat, go back down the river. We just came up. And then they, from there, they get loaded onto buses and off they go north. This was a, a very, very nice uh, group of Venezuelans. Those shoes on the roof there were still, the shoelaces were still dripping. They, they were just fresh out of uh, their journey and just resting up. And at this camp all the way up there, four hours upriver again, Chinese signs, lots of Chinese territories there. Now. What is driving all of this? Well, I'll tell you what I found. I found a well-oiled machine. I thought mistakenly when I went up here to this, that what I was going to find was this thing. I don't know what I imagined. I had this cartoonish vision that, you know, people sort of walk north and however they can, and then they end up at the border with their belongings, maybe a child, but you know, whatever. Uh-uh. This is a well-oiled machine. There is a lot of money involved. If you say a million people went up this route, and they spend an average of three to $5,000 from this point forward to get up to North America into U.S. Well, that's three to $5 billion. So guess what? There's a lot of feasting that goes on around this, and it's a very lucrative machine for some people, not everybody. But what's driving it? What's driving it is people like this, Amy Pope, IOM Director General. This is their strategic plan for their mandate to facilitate the orderly and humane management of international migration. There's the URL down there, so if you want to follow it for yourself. But look at this. What a bizarre starting point they have in this document. They say here, we've reached a defining moment in the global approach to migration, and it is time for a new strategic direction for IOM and renewed energy to deliver on the promise of migration. You might ask yourself, what is the promise of migration? Well, we saw a hint where she said, oh, migration is everywhere and always a very good thing. It's, it's a net positive. It's, it's economically revitalizing. It leads to more prosperity for everybody. Um, and we might say, okay, is that true? Well, what do we know? This is not what you think it is. That's what we have to talk about today. They say here, quote, migration is and has been for centuries a cornerstone of development, prosperity, and progress for many. You mean like the migration of Europeans into North America, that, that represented development, prosperity, and progress for everybody, like the American Indians who were here? Or like, what are you talking about? No, they, I guess they said for many. Uh, they left out that inconvenient part of history, which is that 
when people migrate en masse from one area to another, they end up displacing or losing to the peop- the culture that they're headed towards. Either the culture displaces the culture that's there, or it loses to and is subsumed by the culture that is already there. It depends who's stronger. That's the, that's the reality. Quote, as the world faces major global transformations from climate change, get back to that in a second, demographic transition and urbanization to digitalization, migration can and should be part of the solution? Um, you're losing me here. How do we connect migration to digitization? I don't, I've, digitalization, I don't know. The Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration, the United Nations Secretary General's Action Agenda on Internal Displacement, oh, there's that displacement word, provide a roadmap through which the full potential of migration can be harnessed. The full potential of migration can be harnessed. So you can see the framing, and it is a bizarre starting point because they start with this idea that migration is a good thing. Net, net, it's a good thing. We might ask, hey, all these people who took this perilous journey, would they be better off if they hadn't undertaken the journey? And why doesn't every country allow just unchecked uh, migration and, and penetration across its borders? Not every country does. Many don't. Good questions to ask. Why is that the case? Uh, and they say here they want leaving no one behind. I had a lot of trouble with this, especially after taking this trip. So let's talk about this very quickly. Uh, the International Migration Immigrate Immigration Forum says here the Great Replacement Theory explained because there's this theory out there, which they say in simple terms states that welcoming immigration policies, particularly those impacting non-white immigrants, are part of a plot designed to undermine or replace the political power and culture of white people living in Western countries. That's how they framed it, but that's not actually at all what is the, what is the concern. So they basically say here, first off, they've conflated immigration with migration. Hopefully we've just teased that apart. Immigration is a thoughtful process. Your country goes, hmm, we're about to build a great railroad across our nation. Hmm, we're about to embark on a great urbanization project, we're going to need people who know how to build railroads, or we're going to need concrete laborers, or we need more jet engineers. Whatever the story is, immigration is a thoughtful process that maps people's capabilities with countries' needs and brings in the right people, just like hiring at a company or bringing in a renter to a property. So here they've said, oh, it, you know, welcoming immigration policies, that's what the problem is. And by the way, if you, if you don't like immigration, that must mean you're a racist. When in fact, there is another thing to be considered here, which is that in fact, it's not the color of your skin that's the problem here that people are talking about. That would be racist. Oh my gosh, it's just whites not liking non-whites. That must be the problem according to these fine people here. When in fact, it may be that there's a third angle on this where people go, you know, every area has its own culture. You know, certain fraternities have their own culture. Uh, certain companies have their own culture. Towns, certain religions. Um, every place has a culture. And if you overwhelm that culture or worse, you bring in an incompatible culture, then you have problems on your hands. We'll get to that in just a second. But I reject this idea that this has something to do with white people not liking non-white people. That's how they're trying to frame it. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's actually an indefensible argument. It's really gross. Whoever thinks this way, not a good person or not thoughtful. Carrying on, multiple iterations of the Great Replacement Theory have been and continue to be used by anti-immigrant groups, white supremacists, and others. 
Prominent iterations include rhetoric of invasion. The theory often uses martial and violent rhetoric of, mi of migrant invasion that must be stopped before it conquers white America. Or, or hear me out, there is only a certain pace at which any culture can absorb new people who do not have that culture before that culture is completely overwhelmed. Can you imagine? I don't know. You, you have a, um, a karate dojo, right? Or, or a judo. Let's use judo. Judo dojo. And, and, uh, and you have your whole system. You've got white belts, yellow belts, brown belts, black belts, and, and you've got a little pyramid shape, you know, with just a few black belts. And, and the whole thing runs really smoothly. And then you bring in a whole group of people who uh, are all about fighting MMA style. Technically, humans, technically humans interested in arts of self-defense and maybe offense, totally different cultures. They're not going to mix well. And eventually, if you let it go long enough, one of the two is going to win. And tell you what, it's going to be the MMA folks because they're just a lot more uh, robust in that regard. Okay, so it, it's, it's not about conquering white America. It's about not wanting your culture to be subsumed or overtaken or invaded. Got it. Okay. Voter replacement. The theory also sometimes incorporates the inaccurate assumption that non-white immigrants will vote a certain way. It's not exactly inaccurate. Um, there, there clearly is a strong desire to bring in people who will vote a certain way. This is well known. It's very well established. So at any rate, this great replacement theory says, oh, if you don't like these immigrants coming in in a too fast rate, that must mean you're a white supremacist, which means that if you were here in France, say, uh, doo -doo -doo -doo, turn this off. If you were in France and you don't like this, you don't like what you're seeing, because this is what happens when migrants don't have a place to go and they come and they start camping out on your street. If you don't like this, you must be a racist is the argument. Of course, I think if you've been to France, beautiful city, you might say, can I not have some objection to this? Clearly, under whatever terms and circumstances these people have been brought into this circumstance, it's not exactly ideal. It's not exactly working out real well. I'm not looking, I'm not seeing a whole lot of prosperity uh, being developed here for everybody involved. I'm not, not seeing Amy Pope's harnessing the power of this situation. This looks a little chaotic and, gru and grubby and unsafe and unclean. That's what it looks like, right? But, these days, to believe your own lion eyes puts you in a class for some people. You're dangerous to them because, you know, they don't like it when you think for yourself or notice things for yourself. How about this? This is in Holland. Nothing violent going on here. But do you have a sense here, looking at this, that this that the people who used to live here have been, um, that there is a, a great melding going on, that this is maybe not some kind of replacement going on so what it looks like to me i would feel like there is a whole different culture going on here at this point in time that is very different from the culture that used to be living in this particular place that is what people are referring to by saying hey this kind of looks like feels like acts like tastes like we're being replaced so it's not a theory that's why i put that in quotes this is the observation that replacement is happening now, how about this? Um, you know, the mistake here, I think, was, uh, you know, the Great Replacement Theory explained. They didn't explain it, so I crossed that out. The mistake here was in labeling any of the resistance 
to being invaded as racism somehow, when it's actually about how some cultures um, actually are a poor, if not a disastrous fit with other cultures, with each other. So we have to reject the framing that concerns about too, a too rapid, poorly organized influx of different people isn't any way, especially bringing in young males, that this is rooted in racism. As a guy who was a young male at one point, I will tell you that trouble happens when you get too many males of an age together in a spot. This was known as my teenage years. It just happens. I know something or two about men and males, um, and particularly males who are of the high testosterone variety, right? And who haven't uh, been enculturated within a, a framework that says, you know, you got this toxic masculinity, you're going to have to dial it back. So if people came from an area, particularly if they came from an area where there was a great degree of difference and or trauma that really elevated that you would want to be more masculine, not less, that you wanted to be more aggressive, not less, that's a problem. You now have a mixing problem from one to the next. This is just common sense. Note here, harnessing the power of migration back to that IOM document that, that uh, Amy Pope was talking about. They say here, the IOM knows that migration has the power to transform the lives of individuals, their families, their communities and societies for the better. All right, let's take this apart from two directions. Are you sure that this is transforming the lives of the receiving people for the better? We've even seen that blue states deeply progressive blue states that have been talking for a long time about how we have to be kind and welcoming and that refugees need, uh, you know, these migrants need all of our assistance. When they finally received their own large influxes, they started to go, whoa, this is more than we thought, right? Nothing like a little reality to sort of sharpen the conversation. So those, the receiving communities, obviously not always doing real well with that in sense of it's improved their lives their families or communities for the better. But we also talked with people from Venezuela who had just left and from their area of where they lived in Venezuela, they reported that 70% of people had left. There were three great waves that left Venezuela. The first wave was a few years ago. And these were the wealthy Venezuelans. So they brought all of their talent, their skills, their money. They moved other places, particularly into Panama. And they ended up driving up the real estate almost by doubling it within a short, very short period of time. Within about 18 months, they bought businesses these were the people who could leave. And then there was a second wave. And these were the people who also could leave, but maybe it was a little trickier, right? So these would be many of your more professional people, working class people, doctors, lawyers, police, whatever, off they went. And now we're on the third wave. And these are the people who, who it was harder for them to leave, but now they're leaving too. And this third wave can include people who are less educated, had fewer opportunities, et cetera. And it's that third wave coming up, and it's been so powerful that they reported that 70% of the people had left some areas. They were ghost towns now. So I agree with you, Amy Pope, that we also know that migration has the power to transform the lives of communities. But when you empty a community by 70%, that is not a good thing. That's emptying it out. That is not a good thing. This is obvious. Why is this not obvious to these people? I don't know. Next, in the green, they say it's clear that the sustainable development goals of the UN cannot be reached without safe, orderly, and regular migration. How can we not reach our goals without people leaving where they live and going to live somewhere else? What? What kind of goals are these? We'll get into that. For this reason, our vision is to deliver on the promise of migration while supporting the world's most vulnerable. See, they just say this stuff. They just say, oh, look what we're doing. 
you can tell like this has probably gone through a lot of committees and a lot of very thoughtful people put a lot of time into this and they're like oh well as we all know it's settled science that um <laughs> that migration is is we could just as powerful and we got to harness that power and it's going to transform individuals families communities and societies for the better since we all know that let's carry on like whoa whoa nelly Where'd you get that data? What? what? Right? It's just they say these things and they're ungrounded. This is fundamentally arguable every which way. In fact, it's easily disproven, I believe, in a lot of cases that that there's, it's not always awesome to have too many people leave one area and go to another area. Not always awesome. History is pretty clear on that subject. Next, they say migration is an integral part of the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. Hmm. It's going to deliver on the promise, delivering on the promise of migration will enable the achievement of the sustainable development goals. And since that's also settled science, because we've talked about them endlessly and we've decided these are all awesome goals and this is going to deliver on that promise. Awesome. Right. And they say here, uh, reducing inequality in and among countries will achieve goal 10, goal eight, goal 16, goal 13. What, what are these goals? Oh, uh, well, first, it's going to reduce poverty. Second, it's going to help reduce inequalities. Next, it's going to provide more decent work and economic growth. It's also going to somehow lead to peace, justice, and strong institutions. Hmm, not as sure about that. And fundamentally, it's going to help, circled in red, their goals on climate action. You know, this is kind of an incoherent set of policies, right? I mean, track along with this. That's odd. That you're going to take people from low-income, low-carbon, low-consumption countries and you're going to move them into high-consumption countries where they're going to, by definition, consume more carbon, make more carbon happen, and that's going to help with climate action? Literally, it's that incoherent. Maybe that's the point. So, check this out. To realize the full promise of migration, as they say again, we need a new perspective and approaches, and um, they say here, conflict, climate change, environmental degradation, and uneven development are driving more displacement, yet we lack the frameworks and resources to adequately protect the many people who have little choice but to migrate to find safety and a livelihood. So now they've dropped any pretense that this migration is about, you know, people who are seeking asylum or facing political persecution. They're like, they just want to live a safer life and have a livelihood without asking the first question, which is, what happens when you bring people from countries that already didn't know how to create its own safety and abundance for itself? And you're just like, oh, well, it must have been where they were. Let's bring them and put them somewhere else. That'll change it, right? Doesn't work that way. There's a reason that some cultures are not successful and other cultures are successful. And the way to get more success is not to take too many people from the unsuccessful culture and drop ship them into the successful culture is it, like you can't just take like a a well-functioning restaurant and replace 51 percent of its staff with people who don't know anything about how to run a well-functioning restaurant and expect anything but bad things to happen to the overall service and quality of the food there it's just how this works so these people are a little deranged I, that's the thing that worries me a lot so when you look at this well, they're going to tackle climate change by getting all these green arrows to go from these low GDP countries to these higher GDP countries, obviously. And as you know, because we connect those dots all the time, the more GDP you have, the more carbon you put into the atmosphere because the more oil you burn and the more energy you consume. 
there are no rich, low energy consuming countries. So by definition, they're saying, oh, we want to take people from low GDP countries and move them by the millions, tens of millions into high GDP countries. And this will help us tackle our climate change goals. It's that it's that stupid. It's literally that dumb. Uh, by the way, they say, look, look, migrants are already adapting to shifting labor markets, new ways of working and are ameliorating divergent demographic trends, ameliorating divergent demographic trends. So I guess they're basically saying, look, you know, we created this Ponzi scheme of retirement in a lot of Western countries. You know, you got to pay into the social security system it really isn't working because it's a Ponzi scheme and it doesn't work when you have more people retiring than workers right behind them. It's a bad deal. Um, it, we'll call that a divergent trend. <laughs> between what we'd like to have happen and what's happening. So tell you what, let's just bring in a bunch of people and they're just going to plug right into the system and then we'll have the taxable workforce. That's what they're really talking about. Taxable workforce to ameliorate divergent demographic trends in, in their bureaucratic in compo speak, right? Okay. Well-managed regular migration pathways strengthen global value chains. What the heck kind of insertion is that? Well-managed regular migration pathways. So this is what I did not know. I thought that there were these people who started walking north and they ended up at the border and they came in. It was this cartoonishly naive sense. I get down there, I find out in Panama, there are 61 NGOs right there helping this whole process carry forward. And it's extremely well-funded. And there are, there's a road there right now. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to walk into the gap. There are maps there are way stations. There are people there to check you in and put you on a boat, put you on a bus, put you on some other form of transportation and scurry you on north. It is a pathway. And so they're talking about that. They said that's what they wanted to do. Well-managed regular migration pathways. Once these pathways are established, the NGOs can actually back up and go away because now this is this is a highway. This is a, this is a known path. All right. Uh, strengthen global value chains. Okay, what's a global value chain? How How is this strengthening? I'm confused. <laughs> this is more bureaucratic gobbledygook. If you can help me understand that one, let me know. Uh, and they say, uh, an increased development financing through remittances and diaspora capital. So, oh, strengthen global value chains and increased development financing through remittances, development financing. Oh, you mean development financing in the countries these people came from because they go to the new country and they earn some money and they send it home. Oh, now I get it. That's how we get reduced inequalities because you take people from a poor country and you move them into a richer country and then they send money home from the richer country, which bleeds that country out a little bit, right? Sends it, you know, takes the money and takes its value and exports it, sends it home. So this poorer country comes up development capital. That's what they're calling it. Somebody sends money home, it becomes development capital. Could, maybe that's a good thing for the people here. But what they're saying by default, let me decode this for you in my magic decoder ring. What they're saying is, oh, we're going to create equality by taking down the prosperity and the wealth of wealthier countries so that it can go to these other countries. Because that's what we want. We want equality. Equality is the important thing. That's what we want. Without asking the question, why are there differences in between countries in the first place? And it's very obvious to anybody who studies this, that some places have a different work ethic, have a different um, ethic of, of intellectual property, private property, 
all kinds of things that, that in fact, it's not that North America was just magically, you know, a wealthier place. It's that the people who got there did something with it and turned it into that. And people who don't share that ethic can come and turn it into something else. This is all of human history is sometimes magic happens in a place. You know, we, we had the enlightenment around Florence, Italy. We, we had the, the impressionist artists of the 17, 1800s in, in uh, France. It, these magic happens from time to time. And the way you capture that magic is not by taking a bunch of people who don't know nothing about magic and dropping them in there, right? That's, that's migration. Immigration, different story not against it even slightly before any of you go there so this is what it looks like let me put that out full screen this is what they want to do here deliver on the promise of migration supporting world's most vulnerable look this is a big old boring pdf like look at this look at this slide a lot of people were involved in making this slide um get my laser pointer back out here these are the sustainable development goals up here these are all the ones they think are improved by migration and then they drop down and hear all the various sub activities. This is billions and billions of dollars. They have these objectives, which are to save lives and protecting people on the move without asking the question, is it safer for people not to be on the move? Just asking objective two: driving solutions to displacement. Well, I know don't displace people <laughs> solved done in one facilitating pathways for regular migration is objective three. Those are the three big objectives. Get people to move, give them a nice fat road with a big rut worn in it for them to move on and help them do that safely. Never do they ask the question, maybe we shouldn't do this at all. Maybe those billions would be better spent trying to figure out how to help people where they already are be more prosperous and more successful. Not what they're doing. So when they say objective one, they're like, oh yeah, saving lives and protecting people on the move. Well, we have questions. First question. Um, this is a, a picture from Muckraker where they shot people coming up over the steeper parts. They go through the jungle. Very, very high mortality rate for people coming through the jungle. I mean, death, right? Particularly in, in November, December, when it was colder, there is a 4,000-foot mountain chain that they have to go over. It's the Continental Divide in that part of the world. On one side of the divide, water flows to the Pacific. On the other side of the divide, water flows to the Atlantic. To get from Colombia to Panama, kind of have to go over that. So when it was 40 degrees out, you had people who were not used to being cold at all. These are warm weather people. And sleeping on the ground where the ground just steals their heat away. And they were dying, often in very large numbers. Or they were drowning. Or, this is even more, I mean, just terrible. It's so bad the conditions with coyotes and predator, you know, human predators, two-legged predators, all that, that there are, this IOM group hands out rape kits for women and young girls because it happens. And so instead of saying, wow, maybe we should, you know, save lives and protect people on the move by not having them go through a movement process where these things happen, they drown, they, they die from hypothermia, possibly from, from dehydration, they're being raped. Sometimes, who knows, they're getting bit by snakes and spiders. It's the jungle, right? These are all things that you would say as a non-unserious person, you would say, maybe the best thing is not to move them in the first place. In fact, how do they square up their objective of saving lives and protecting people on the move with the fact that this train that comes up out of Mexico 
has been named by the people who've ridden it the train of death. I don't think they're really meeting objective one here. But more to the point, why do they make people do this? So these are, when we were down there, we met people from Afghanistan, Chile, all across South America, actually, um, mostly a lot of Venezuelans. There were people from Ghana, so Africa. There were people all over Africa. There were people from the Middle East and China. A lot of people from China didn't meet any Koreans, didn't meet any Vietnamese, no Thai. So it really wasn't, wasn't Asia. So, but then these people fly in typically to Quito, Ecuador, uh, because they have more relaxed uh, visa standards, or some of them said they flew into Brazil, and then they make their way up through Colombia, and then they come up through this very dangerous Darien Gap, and then they get on a bus and a boat and all that, and they make their way up to Costa Rica and Honduras and all that, right? Why make them go through that? If you really cared about saving lives and protecting people on the move, why make them move? Well, I mean, if somebody flew to Quito from Afghanistan, thinking maybe they could have flown straight to JFK, right? Like, what is this about that we make these people go through all these hoops and rigmarole, go through a very dangerous jungle experience where there's human predators and natural, you know, hazards and all of that? Why would we make them do all of that if the whole point was just to get them to the border they are at Eagle Pass, Texas on the Mexican side, so we can lift the wire and let them through. It's kind of weird, right? So it's a very bizarre thing, but they have these goals and objectives, like they're going to save lives, right? <laughs> and protect people on the move, right? And, and they're going to find solutions to displacement and uh, facilitating pathways for regular migration. Thinking about solutions for driving displacement, very awkwardly here in Massachusetts, our governor Healy just the other day, said, hey, we got a lot of migrants here and refugees or whatever language she was using. And uh, she said, you know what would be good? Is if Massachusetts citizens would be kind and open their homes to these people. Like, I know, Governor, how about we work to not have to get ourselves in a situation where that's the final last solution we've got left on the table, which is we're out of space in all of our shelters. Can we just start opening our homes? Like, that would suggest that maybe the process hasn't been as carefully thought through as maybe it should have been. Pro tip there. Just just noting that. Okay. Um, well, then how about this? Uh, the Red Cross, this is, this is their invasion map. Well, this is the map that helps people. It's super detailed. This was in Spanish. Every one of these little, um, let me get my tool. Every one of these, there's camps and dots and way stations and hotels that are favorable. And it's got all this instruction down here. And it tells people all the way that they can uh, get themselves all the way from here down to Panama, all the way up through Central America and Mexico, and then showing the corridors in various colors where where you'd really want to want to go if you could. Making it very simple. There are like by the time you're producing maps of this quality and this detail, this is a well-oiled route and process. This is no longer some people got on the road and decided to walk north. This is totally a different process. Now, here's how this breaks down. The Irish Times recently said, I think that this just came out a couple days ago, they said, well, this is serious business. They mean business. Migrants living in fear is violent atmosphere brewing in Dublin. Um, you know, and they say, oh, groups report increasing vocalization of racism. That's it. It must be racism. That's what they're saying about this. In fact, we have here uh, John Simpson of the BBC saying, I don't want to be too gloomy, but we can surely expect more of those disgusting scenes in Dublin where they had some 
fiery sort of protests as more and more people flee to wealthy countries as a result of war and global warming and local people turn nasty. So that was on uh, the 24th of November of 2023. Oh yeah, this is the problem. People uh, are fleeing to wealthy countries. That's it. They're just fleeing as a result of war and global warming. But the locals, the locals turn nasty. <clears throat> what he failed to mention in his tweet was that these riots erupted in Dublin after a a non let's say a non local an immigrant uh, stabbed three young children out of five people all injured in a knife attack in Dublin and the people had finally had enough when you have an immigrant who comes in and starts stabbing your children it's okay to be a little bit unhappy with that but not according to John Simpson this is just local people turning nasty. How did he manage to not include this context? This is the state of the mainstream news right now. This is why I do what I do, why other people do what they do. You need the context to begin to make sense of this stuff. I save you time by going out and figuring all this dumb stuff out to understand just how awful this context is right here. This is an absolute disaster of framing and disgraceful. But notice also in that last paragraph down there, um, the police commissioner said, Drew Harris said, they are disgraceful scenes. We have a complete lunatic hooligan faction driven by far right ideology engaged in serious violence. I'm going to disagree. Maybe you got hooligans. But I would not consider it far right to say we want to protect our children or we want to protect our women or anybody who's vulnerable, right? It is the duty of the males to stand up and protect those under them. That's it. That comes on the Y chromosome. Provide and protect. Provide and protect. Those are the things you need to do as a man. And when the men finally stand up, you can't say, oh, this is just racism and far-right ideology. It's not that, Police Commissioner Drew Harris. What it is, is people standing up for themselves and having a spine and a backbone because that's the world we live in. Welcome, wake up, wake up. You live in a world where might makes right, where if you somebody's going to come and steal and take your stuff from you and you don't defend that, they have your stuff, right? Including your land, your house, your, your economy, your women, your children, right? That's the world we live in. And that's increasingly the world that the people who are in these countries that are being invaded are being denigrated and browbeaten every time they dare to stand up for themselves, being told that's unacceptable. And every possible accommodation is made for the people who are coming into the country and creating a lot of mischief, if, if not mayhem, if not murder, the three M's. It's happening, right? Not always, but enough to say, maybe this shouldn't be an uncontrolled process where we just let train loads and boat loads of people in without any vetting. Nobody of any serious mind would ever say you should not vet for an employee, a renter. Why would you not vet people coming in to your country? It's really sacred. So to do that and do that well. So so I loved how uh, uh, Nick Dixon put it here. He said, ah, doesn't mention the stabbing, blames climate change. Normal day at the BBC. Right, normal day. Thank you, <laughs> Nick Dixon. It's that silly. Okay, so let me drag this uh, all down to a landing here on the tarmac. Conclusions and summary for this part. First, migration. Not the same thing as immigration. Hopefully we've made that clear. Totally separate processes. Next, the UN, the US, and uh, and the EU uniparties. So the US and the EU basically have 
uniparties. We don't have left and right. We don't even have far right and social democrats. We don't have any of that stuff. We got a uniparty and 60 plus NGOs. They all support uncontrolled and unlimited migration. And their tools include shaming and ignoring, right? They're going to, if they're going to ignore this story as long as possible. And when it finally erupts out, then they're going to shame people for being far right, racist, white, nat, whatever. That's not what's happening here at all. So reject that and reject that out loud, verbally important. The idea here is to make the poorer countries wealthier by making the wealthier countries poor. It's a stated goal. They've told you what the goal is. Pro tip. When somebody says they're going to do something and then it happens, they probably did it. Works out pretty well to view things through that lens. All right. They are framing any and all resistance to any of this as racism when it's instead it's legitimate, lawful, ordinary concerns about cultural fit. That's what's going on here. Very important to understand that. And the replacement theory is not a theory. It's now a stated goal. They've told us this. Uh, We're even going to have a strategy about how we manage the displacements, as we call them. It's not replacement, it's displacement. Did you say replacement theory? Well, we have a displacement policy. It's totally different. How dare you suggest you racist person, right? That is what is going on. Uh, Unfortunately, this leads to a lot of conclusions. This trip changed me, changed me. Thank you, Michael Yan. Thank you, everybody who kept me safe down there. Um, You know, Matt and and Jairo and Chuck, thank you so much for your service down there. And thank you to everybody who went and helped me understand this a little better because this has changed me completely. What I'm doing in my own life around preparations, around what I think I'm getting ready for, is now in a completely different mode than it was prior to this trip. And so what I'm going to be doing in part two, um, and uh, oh yeah, by the way, last point here, UN's SDG goals. Boy, what a hot mess of contradictions, incoherence. It's just, yeah, but maybe that's the point, right? Maybe the point is to confuse people and have us be demoralized. Maybe the point is that they don't make any sense. Worth considering. So at any rate, um, in part two, for my subscribers back at Peak Prosperity, we are going to be talking about how I've changed and as well what uh, we are preparing for now. And we are rapidly approaching the decision point where we can either leave after being too displaced or we can fight for our culture, our dignity, and to preserve and protect those we care about. That's already a situation that a lot of people are caught in in a variety of locations around the Western world. How far does it spread? That's what we're going to be talking about. Thank you very much for listening. Can't wait to finish up this conversation with everybody back at Peak Prosperity. See you next time. I hope you learned something. Again, giving you information you can't afford to live without. Bye-bye.